with us. You do not have to, but you're more than welcome to. Uh, if you're checking us out on the internet, uh, don't, just, uh, don't just watch. Like, sing. Sing right there in your living room or on your boat in the middle of the lake. Whatever you're doing. Just join with us. Lift him high All praise to Jesus Lift him high For all to see Lift him high The cross of Calvary where mercy died to set us free. Look across our way to freedom the cross our right to bear but God 
Ash was redeemed, only beauty remains. My orphan heart was given a name. My morning grew quiet and my feet rose to dance. When death was arrested, my life began. Oh, your grace, so free, washes over me. You have made me new, now life begins with you. It's your For my chains, I'm a prisoner no more. My shame was a ransom, he faithfully bore. He canceled my debt and he called me his friend. When death was arrested, my life began. For oh, your grace. Rejoices, oh heaven had lost. But then Jesus rose with our freedom in hand. That's when death was arrested and my life began. Oh, your grace so free washes over. you 
not already standing, and I, you know, go ahead and stand with me, because at this time, we're going to read scripture. We're going to read from God's word. The words will be on the screen. When you pray, don't babble on and on as people of other religions do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. Don't be like them, for your Father knows exactly what you need, even before you ask. Pray like this, our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. Is the kingdom and 
Where we want to stay 
Jesus, um, thank you for solving our spiritual problems so that we can rest in you. Uh, life is unnerving and, and busy and lots of cares, but the man, Father, thank you for telling us that we can rest in you. Lord Jesus, help us now to trust you. For those of us who know you as your Savior, may today be a day where we are reminded of the goodness of God and his mercy and his grace. And if there's somebody on, uh, watching online or in this room that doesn't know you as their, 
as their adopted dad, may today be the day of their salvation. Thank you, Lord, for gathering us. Uh, we pray for our missionaries. We have uh, dozens and dozens of missionaries right now, short-term missionaries that are in Brazil and Guatemala. We pray you'd keep them safe today, and as they're ministering in churches, you would bless them. As our children leave in a moment to go to their programming, uh, we just pray, Father, that you would give great skill to that team and that these children would be discipled into the knowledge and love of our Lord Jesus Christ. In your holy name we pray, amen. amen. Well, good morning, church. Good morning. It is so good to see you this morning. Um, we are, as I just mentioned in our prayer, we have dozens and dozens and dozens of people that, are, uh, that have traveled over this weekend, some to Brazil and some to Guatemala, uh, to serve the Lord in a, in, for a week in those locations to assist some of our missionaries in their work. So we want to continue to be praying for them. And I just wanted to take a moment to say that they could not have gone without you, in, in, especially in this facet. We ask you to pray for them, and you have prayed for them. But as you give, every one of the people that came from our church to go on these trips was, was given a, a, a scholarship. And so uh, while the plane ticket prices, I told you months ago, has gone through the ceiling, uh, they were able to, to have a price, and we paid above that, and you paid above that. And I just want to thank you for your continual support financially of our mission work. Uh, you know, it's a tough time to be a missionary. It's a difficult time to travel internationally, and I just, I just want to take a moment and thank you for that. Uh, you're, you're pretty amazing when it comes to giving, and it allows me not to talk about it very much. So thank you very much. And, and I'm not going to talk about it now. I know you're waiting for the other shoe to drop. So in that, you know, give us a billion dollars. You can do that if you want. Uh, and, and maybe it'll get you into heaven. I don't know. I don't want to say it won't because then you won't give. So I'm kidding. That's not how you get to heaven. Um, uh, one more thing. Uh, as I've been saying every week, we communicate with you now through uh, digitally. Uh, our worship guides, our information, the names of those that are on mission trips. If there's emergency things that are going on we want you to pray about, that's all done digitally online. And we would encourage you, if you, you do not have to be a member to be a part of that, but if Carpenter's Way is your home, uh, if this is where you're, you're kind of planted for now, when the service is over, if you go back to that table, uh, my dad and my Karen will be there, and they'll make sure you get on, uh, we, get, we need your email and your cell phone so that we can communicate with you. I also want to mention, if you're visiting with us today and you'd like more information on the church, that's where you get it. That's where you get plugged into a Bible study, and we certainly want you to jump in and be involved in all of that. So anyway, that's all for the announcements. Let's jump into what we want to talk about today. I'm super excited about this series. Um, if there is one thing that I have learned from our time together in God's Word through the years, it's that people uh, with their fears and desires don't change. The same characters we find early in Genesis are the same kind of people that we are. And technology may change through the years, but people don't. The same things that you worry about in this life, how to take care of your family, raising good kids, teaching them uh, your culture and your morality, they are the same things that people throughout Scripture, throughout history of the world have always worried about. Uh, the same things that bring you joy, a new infant, a new life, uh, a sunset. Those are things that throughout history, and you can read about them in the scriptures, those are the same things that have brought people joy throughout, uh, throughout history. Uh, last week, we took some time uh, to kind of bridge our conversation from second, first and second Peter to a, 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 I keep calling, I want to thank all of you who texted me this week, who think it's funny that I'm referring to this as a short series. 
of four weeks. The good news is you were right. I was wrong. We went from four weeks to now it's six. So don't worry. We'll be done in a year. I promise, I promise you that. But uh, we were bridging that. We looked at God's instructions to the exiled Hebrews uh, after they had been kidnapped by Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon and taken away from their homeland in Jerusalem. And God instructed them through the prophet Jeremiah on how to live. And the reason we studied that is so that we kind of had an idea of how God wants us to live in exile. Over our study of First and Second Peter, uh, and you know Paul's writings, they clearly say that we are foreigners and strangers in this land. And uh, I think if you watch the church over the past five years, you have come to realize that the church doesn't really actually believe that in this country. The church believes that she owns America, and therefore America should act like the church. And that's simply not biblical. We are the aliens and strangers, even in a country that has similar morality to what we might call a moral compass. And as it changes through the years, um, and I want to just say, if you haven't studied, the only difference between the 60s and 70s, and I'm thinking specifically this morning of the Brady Bunch, the only difference of the Brady Bunch era and the era we live in is back then, if you were living an immoral lifestyle out of Hollywood, you hit it and now you celebrate it. But it was always going on. And it's always gone on before that. If you read the Old Testament, the law that God gives his Hebrew people, he instructs them on lots of moral things. There's a moral code in it. And some of the morality that you read in there that, that just for whatever reason isn't talked about in the church is there. It's disgusting. It talks about depraved sexual activities a lot. The reason they're there is why? Because people were doing it. It isn't new. The world is not more evil than it's ever been. It's always been evil since the Garden of Eden fall. Men's hearts ask Cain, or you can't ask Cain because he's long dead, but Cain went to the right God, right altar, right time, just brought his own sacrifice. That's self-worship. That's putting yourself in the position of God. I don't know why I'm watching you, Sabrina. You've already said no once, and you've nodded three other times, so I feel like I'm making the right way. She's the one who had me back off and say, okay, that's not how you're saved, the money thing. It's, it's not true. You get saved by calling on the name of the Lord, whether you give or not. You want to be my friend, you got to give. Is that better, Sabrina? No, she's not. She's saying no again. So I'll be your friend even if you don't give. I'll be a better friend if you give. Nope, still wrong. Um, but, but the fact is that Cain put himself above God. God even meets with Cain, if you remember, and he says to Cain, look, you're not doing the right thing right now. If you go back and do the right thing, which he obviously knew what it was, go back and do the right thing, I'll accept your offering. And what does Cain do? He decides to kill his brother instead. Tries to manipulate God. But he's thinking, maybe this is his thought, if I kill my brother... There'll only be one worshiper left, and God will have to accept my worship. It's manipulation. And I would argue that the uh, Christianity of this country is very much like that. I, I want to say that as we're about to enter a study of the Lord's Prayer, it is interesting because all of you have probably, even if you didn't grow up in the church, it's a little bit like the prayer you, that some pray before bed, even people who don't go to church or believe in God. Now I lay me down to sleep. And I pray my soul to keep, blah, 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 blah. I only know the first two lines because I fall asleep during that prayer. But, but the Lord's Prayer is the same. Uh, it's called in the Catholic Church the Our Father. And, and it's repeated, which is ironic because what I'm going to read you in just a second actually says, don't pray repetitive prayers. 
And I would argue with you this morning, and I'm going to make the case in what we're going to do today. I want to set context because as you know, context means everything to understanding Scripture. You nodded to that, Sabrina. You're under a light or something. So I'm just going to talk to you all morning. But the... (laughs) Caitlin, I see you too. Okay. The, The thing is, you guys, that context tells us what's this about. And let me go ahead and ruin it for you. I'm going to go ahead and let this cat out of the bag. Jesus has just, in in Matthew's recording of this, Jesus has just finished the Sermon on the Mount. You know the Sermon on the Mount as the Beatitudes as well. And what he's doing in the Sermon on the Mount is he's explaining what the character is of the man or woman who's a follower of God. The upside-down value system. The problem with a lot of our understanding of the Beatitudes is we go, okay, the meek inherit the earth, so therefore I must learn what it means to be meek so I can be that. That's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is actually making a point, you can never be good enough. Ever, ever, ever. But in this text, after the Beatitudes, Matthew records for us a series of discipleship lessons to followers of his on how to live as exiles. The world has a different value system. So here's what I want you to do, and I'm going to read those. Here we go. And and this is all within context. I'm not skipping any verses. I'm not... so. Then the Lord's Prayer is right in the middle of this. Matthew chapter 5, 13 is where it starts, and uh, it'll be on the screen if you need it. You are the salt of the earth. So we know he's talking to disciples, followers of his. He's not talking to the lost, he's talking to his followers. You are the salt of the earth. But what good is it if the salt loses it, it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It'll be thrown out and trampled underfoot and worthless. You are the light of the world like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your Heavenly Father. Hold that there for a second, Kevin. So just to make the point, this is the starting statement that will lead us to the Lord's Prayer. But what Jesus is doing, a couple of very important things. He's not talking to lost people. He's talking to the salt. He's talking to the light. And what he is saying is, you are already the salt. You are already the light. But if you lose your flavor, what good are you in the world? If you lose your light, if you hide it under, well, you know, a lamp, something, something that hides it, a basket, then there's no, there's no purpose in you being the light. And he's going to now go, therefore, even though you're not become salt by the law, even though the law does not make you light or salt, And that's what the new covenant in the blood of Christ is, forgiveness. And for those of you who are wondering how you're saved, let me make it clear. The reality is, in the Garden of Eden, our great, 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 and I can keep going, grandparents, sinned against God, were cast out of the garden, out of the garden, and Romans tells us that sin is now passed through the male lines. And those of you who are married knew that, because men are wicked. Sin is passed through the male line. And that's why Jesus was born of a virgin. He's the only man that was ever born that wasn't conceived of of a male. He was born of a virgin, so he didn't have a sin nature, but we have a sin nature. That means the moment we're conceived, we are under God's wrath. But God wants a relationship with us. It tells us in Ephesians chapter 1 that his unchanging plan was to adopt us into his family. That was his plan. His plan was not to keep you out of hell. It was to make you his kid. It was to fellowship with you. When we talk, and and you, even if you don't go to church often, and I know that there's some watching online who don't, you will hear regularly that this is not a religion, it's a relationship with God. Well, that doesn't start with a new, coolish way to do church. It's actually God's idea. 
What we're doing is moving away from religious piety and into God-given piety. We are not moral because that's, that's our nature. We're moral because God is transforming us. He's changing our minds. So in this discussion, it's interesting because it starts, brothers and sisters, with Jesus saying, look, you're the salt. Don't lose your flavor. You're the light. Don't cover it up. And he's going to talk about with sin. And, the, and, and his followers might have immediately said, well, excuse me, but I'm not saved by keeping the law. Well, verse 17 answers that. Don't misunderstand why I've come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose, okay? So pause for a second because I'm not going to spend much time on this. We will in Romans. It's very important you understand this. Jesus didn't come to do away with the law. The, what the law's purpose was, according to Romans 6, was to show us that we are depraved in our hearts. We need forgiving. We need somebody who's going to look down from heaven and go, I'm going to give you the world's biggest mulligan. You are cleansed. And to do that, though, the price had to be paid. So the Father sent the Son to die on the cross for our sins. For God so loved the world, He gave His only Son, so that whoever believes in Him won't perish but have eternal life. You are not saved by keeping the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments don't go away. Those rules are not nullified. What is nullified is your accountability to them. Jesus fulfilled the law by paying the price for your sin. And, and I think we need to remember that. Jesus didn't just, just forget our sin. He paid for it. Your sin was still paid for, just not by you. Praise God, right? I mean, I think it's okay for us to say better him than me. That's a good thing because you would pay for it forever and ever and ever. He didn't have to. He was perfect and once for all time. He paid the price for Mark's sin on the tree. And that's why I can rest. Great song. I remember when we were in Hebrews and you wrote that. Great song. By the way, I really like the Lord's Prayer song. Where'd you get the words for that? <laughs> you guys, did you not struggle when we were reading the Lord's Prayer in the, in the uh, New Living Translation? Don't you want to just go, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name? <laughs> it's the only problem with that. We have no idea what they're talking about. I mean, but it's, it's funny because I've been struggling all week with that. And you'll, you'll, you'll hear that this morning. So, so I didn't come to do away with the law or the writings of the prophets. I came to accomplish their purpose, to show you your need for redemption. Verse 18, I tell you the truth, unless, until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. What's its purpose? To show you you need redemption. So if you ignore the least commandment and teach others to do the same, you'll be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But anyone who obeys God's law and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. But I warn you, unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. At which time, all of his disciples went, oh no, I'll never be more spiritual than someone who hides in a room and never sees anybody else but themselves. You realize he's not just talking about those people that we think so badly of. He's talking about Pharisees who hide in rooms like monks and never see anybody who never sin. It's told of Martin Luther, who was a seminary professor and a priest in the Catholic Church before he was a jettison from it, that he would spend hours in confession to other priests, confessing sins, and they would tell him, please, Martin, we're sick of hearing you cry and pray for forgiveness from us. Go sin. This was a good guy, but he felt so ashamed. And that's what freed him when he read from Romans that the just will live by faith. We're saved by faith, not works. 
And so Jesus is saying to them that unless, our, our, uh, unless Mark's righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of the religious law and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of God. The good news is the righteousness that we have obtained is declared. Jesus declared. He exchanged your sinfulness for his holiness. I stand before you today as holy as Jesus is. And you sit before me today, if you're his child, as holy as Jesus. You are as righteous as the Trinity. How crazy is that thought? Not because God's going, I don't see your sin, but because God said, you pay for it, Jesus. And if you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all, referring to past, present, and future sin. And and I got to tell you something I say a lot here. If you are not saved, I am not asking you to join Carpenter's Way. I cannot figure out for the life of me why anybody would want to go to hell. Why would anybody be enemies of God? Why why would you want to push him? Please, don't be a fool. You can accept him right now where you are. Well, I don't know how to do that. Just call on the name of the Lord. Romans 10, 13 says, all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Please, don't be stupid. Whether you like Baptist or Carpenter's Way, I know you like me, but whether you like... I mean, how could you not? But whether you like the people around you, your world, your life, it doesn't matter. What you need is grace. And he's offered it to you whether you're Catholic or Methodist or Mormon or Jehovah's Witness or a Satan worshiper. He has offered it to you this morning. Run to Jesus. Run to Jesus. Back to the text. Then he goes on and he teaches them about anger. Remember, these are, I'm going to get to the Lord's Prayer, I promise, but For those of you who are new at Carpenter's Way, this is how Mark does it. He says he's going to teach a text, and he gets there in the last five minutes. (laughs) You have heard, verse 21, you have heard our ancestors ancestors were told you must not murder. If you commit murder, you're subject to judgment. To which they all went, yeah, I'm glad I haven't murdered. But But I say, as God, Jesus is saying, I say as God, if you're even angry with someone, you're subject to judgment. Whoop, boop, what? So I don't measure up. If you call someone an idiot, I think I've done that from the pulpit. You're in, you're, I didn't name their name. Steve Hicks, I can hear you. I don't know why I'm aware of the congregation today, but that laugh. If you say, well, it, it, you're an idiot, you're in danger of being brought before the court. If, you're, if you curse someone, you're in danger of the fires of hell. So if you're, if you're presenting a sacrifice at the altar of the temple and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar. Go and be reconciled to that person. Then come, then come and offer your sacrifice to God. When you are on your way to court with your adversary, settle your differences quickly. Otherwise, your ancestors may hand you over to the judge who will hand you over to an officer and you'll be thrown into prison. And if that happens, you surely won't be free again until you've paid the last penny. So now they're going, oh, that, okay, whoa, I thought, I thought I was the salt. And now you're telling me I can go to hell if I don't like everybody, if I'm angry at somebody? He doesn't stop. You've heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery. But I say anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now, I've never done that. You can laugh. Certainly, you've never done that unless you saw the second Top Gun. He's old, but he's handsome. <laughs> the truth is, this, this is crazy. You're listening to Jesus talk. He just called you the salt and the light, and now he's saying, and, you know, you've got to keep the law. Keep the law, but, uh, you know, as you live as exiles, make sure you don't 
commit adultery, and we're all going, okay, I won't commit adultery. Hell's not worth adultery. I'm not going to commit adultery. And by the way, lust is adultery. Oh, no. Wow. So if your eye, even your good eye, causes you to lust, gouge it out and throw it away. (laughs) There's a lot of one-eyed people running around. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your hand, even your stronger hand, causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away, one-armed, one-eyed people. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for you to lose your whole body and be thrown into hell. At which time, dudes are standing, listening to him preaching, going to each other, maybe we should find another religion. <laughs> this rabbi's tough. You've heard that the law says a man can divorce his wife by merely giving her a written notice of divorce. Yes, we've heard that. But I say that a man who divorces his wife unless she's been unlawful causes her to commit adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman also commits adultery. You've also heard that our ancestors... Can we stop talking about our ancestors' teaching, please? (laughs) Nope. He continues. Our ancestors were told, you must not break your vows. You must carry out the vows you make to the Lord. But I say, do not make any vows. Do not say, by heaven because heaven is God's throne. Do not say by the earth, because the earth is his footstool. Do not say by Jerusalem, for Jerusalem is a city of the great king. Do not even say by my head, for you can't turn one hair white or black. Just a simple yes, I will, or no, I won't. Anything beyond this is from the evil one. And I just want to pause because there's a lot of people, Christians, who go through their life going, I don't make vows because God said not to. Or I'm not going to divorce, I'm not going to marry a divorced woman, or I, I, whatever, that whole thing on divorce, they take it from this text. And, and yet they ignore the whole cut your hand off, eye out if you lust. You're missing the point. There's a point being made here that Jesus knows is going to drive his salt and light nuts. And, and I know some of you are going, I thought we were going to do the Lord's Prayer. We're going to get there. Because what he's doing is telling us how to live as exiles in a land that our flesh longs for. So he continues, you have heard that the law says the punishment must match the injury, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, but I say do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek also. Dude, that's the cheek that I can, I poked the eye out. <laughs> but if, if you are sued in court and your shirt's taken from you, give me your coat. <laughs> what? If a soldier demands that you carry gear for a mile, carry it two miles. Give to those who ask and don't turn away from those who want to borrow. You have heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say, love your enemies. This Jesus guy was a mess. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven, for he gives us sunlight to both the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you are kind only to your friends, how are you any different than anyone else? Even the pagans do that. But you are to be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Now, all of a sudden, the standard's super high. And this is a problem, because this is in what we have as the New Testament, not the Old. And this must have freaked them out. Chapter 6, verse 1. Watch out, still teaching, same context. Don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others, for you will lose the reward from your Father in heaven. You've never done that, right? Seriously, none of you have ever done that. You've never given something and hoped other people saw you give it? 
Okay, well, that's good. You don't have to worry about this one. When you give to someone in need, don't do as the hypocrites do, blowing trumpets in the synagogues and streets to call attention to their acts of charity. They did that. This isn't an exaggeration. In the temple when you went in, they would turn their, they would turn their wealth into coins and they would drop it down like a trumpet horn and it would go into a bucket. Why a trumpet horn? So everybody could hear them giving. Dink! Dink! I'm giving! Look at me! It's what they did. None of you have ever done that. I know that. Blowing trumpets in the synagogues and streets to call attention to their acts of charity. I tell you the truth. They have received all the reward they will ever get. And when you give to someone in need, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Give your gifts in private, and your Father who sees everything will reward you. These are God's expectations for his kids as we live here. And while there's a tons that we can unwrap about this, and we will in Romans, the truth is every one of us go, I can't do any of those except maybe the giving in secret. And even then, I hope my wife sees me giving or my dad or my cousin because ultimately our flesh, as we talked about last week, longs for, uh, for approval and respect from the world. But Jesus is telling us that we need dependence on him, complete dependence on him, but not just in the areas of living morally and caring for people. In Matthew chapter 6, 5, he tells us how this is all possible, and the Lord's Prayer is a part of that. Because not only do we have a relationship with the lost and the saved as light and salt, but one thing, and for whatever reason, we don't, I don't talk about it as much, there's actually instructions on how we relate to God. And how we relate to God makes all the rest of this possible. See, this isn't about you working harder and being smarter and being more moral. It's actually about us understanding this, Matthew 6, 5. And when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. Let me pause. A lot of our ladies have been studying context, so they know that the Pharisees would often go into the street corners and they would pray first, time, first of the day out loud, Thank you for not making me like these poor people. Thank you for not making me sick, which shows sin. Thank you for not making me like a Gentile. Thank you for not making me a woman. Remember in Galatians, we studied that prayer. Because in Galatians, it says we're all equal in the kingdom, whether Gentile or Jew, rich or poor, male or female. You see, the, the, the standard of heaven, citizenship, is equal, radical equality. The standard of the religious Jews was we're better than everybody else, but we show mercy to everybody else. And that isn't godliness. So when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who pray publicly on street corners in the synagogues where everybody can see them. I tell you the truth, that is all the reward they will ever get. But when you pray, go by yourself, shut the door behind you, and pray to your Father in private. Then your Father who sees everything will reward you. When you pray, don't babble on as the Gentiles do. They think their prayers are answered by merely repeating their words again and again and again. Isn't it funny what we've done with the Lord's Prayer? Don't be like them. For your Father knows exactly what you need even before you ask Him. Pray like this. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. 
May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need. And forgive us our sin as we forgive those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation. But rescue us from the evil one. If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sin. I read that right now, and I want to pause again. I want you to breathe, because I want you to have the context. This teaching is exactly like the teaching of, of adultery, of marriage. This isn't a different thought. Jesus didn't go, okay, let me, let, me, let me rabbit trail for a moment on your spiritual walk. It's all the same to Jesus. You see, in all the things that he said before this, from the Beatitudes on, they just realize they don't measure up. So as part of his prayer, this is how you deal with your sin. But just know, and we're not going to get to it this week, except to say this. You should ask the Lord to forgive you as you forgive others. That's the quality with which you should pray for forgiveness. All of us, we just got scared. Because we're not good at forgiveness. Well, you don't know what they've done to me. Yeah, but God does, and that's who's teaching. When you refuse to forgive others, your Father in heaven will not forgive your sin. And when you fast, don't make it obvious, as the hypocrites do. For they try to look miserable and disheveled so people will admire them for their fasting. You've never done that, right? What's wrong? I'm fasting. I'm so spiritual. I'm praying. I mean, actually, look what he instructs them to do. I love it. I tell you the truth, that is the only reward they will ever get. But when you fast, comb your hair, wash your face, then no one will notice your fasting except your father who knows what you do in private. And your father who sees everything will reward you. I love that. I, I'm kind of at a loss right now when I read this as to why we do church-wide fasts. Are you doing the fast? Yes, I'm doing the fast. Oh, good for you. I did it last year. It was great. This is actually telling me that these are personal parts of my relationship with God. What happens when we turn them into religious behavior? You see, that's what this whole thing is about. We've been talking, we've been talking for weeks now, months, years, about how to live as an exile. And Jesus talked about that a lot too. But right in the middle of it, he answered how we do that. How do we do it? By relating to our Father as well. In Matthew 6, 5 through 8. He encourages them, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners in the synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth, that's all the reward they ever get. Here's his point. When you pray, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you and pray to your father in private. Then your father who sees everything will reward you. You see, this thing that we do, while it's a struggle when we live it out, it's actually personal between you and God. We are not we are only the body of Christ, not because we gather, but because as individuals we have accepted his offer to forgive our sin. We have been adopted through the blood of Jesus Christ and sealed by the Holy Spirit, all in Ephesians 1 if you want to read it, into God's family. And it is a private, personal, intimate relationship between me and him and you and him. He goes on in verse 7 to say, when you pray, don't babble on and on as the Gentiles do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. You see, what Jesus is slamming here is the, the aim for which they pray. You see, the goal that God wants us to pray is relational. And we'll get into that through the prayer. Every part of this is about an intimate relationship with God, dealing with the wrong things that we do. We call them sins. Dealing with pride, dealing with our daily needs. He knows that we need food and we worry about that. How do I deal with who he is? Keeping him in his place. That's what we'll talk about in a few moments. It's personal though. 
The prayer is what solves all our problem because it's me being intimate with my Father. I tell you again, you are not saved by Jesus on the cross to keep you out of hell. If that were the case, you could just go on with your life. But this became an adoption into a new family, a new citizenship out of America into the family of God. And that is why Jesus said, seek first my kingdom. Your kingdom is first and foremost God's kingdom. So you have to be in fellowship with the king on a regular basis. Not as a corporate church, but as an individual child of his. There are two things that stand out. One more time I want to say them. Prayer is a relationship activity. It's how we interact with our Father in heaven. While we can't see him, we can talk to him. And he hears us. The second thing is it's not a manipulation activity. You notice in the second part that the Gentiles babble on and on and repeat their prayers because they think by repeating them, they become more effective. Boy, is that a message for the church today. There are books in Christian bookstores and Christian.com and everywhere, hundreds of books that all come under the guise of praying more effectively. And what they mean by more effectively is by moving God's hand. I remember when Oral Roberts used to teach that uh, you can have your miracle today. This is how you get it. You get it by sending me money and by being faithful in your prayers. They're still teaching that. It's as if God is some machine with all power, and he needs you to put a coin in his machine so that he acts on, his, on, on your goodwill. That's not at all being God. That makes you God. I tell you again that I believe the God of our country. If, if the God of, of uh, Babylon was Nebuchadnezzar and of Egypt, it was, if we could go through them. Uh, in the India, I've been there. It's the Hindu gods. There's millions of gods. If the gods of those countries uh, you know, can be identified, if the Muslim, the God of America is not Jesus Christ as in Scripture. It's self who uses Jesus Christ to get our way. And that's not just in the health and wealth doctrine churches. I argue with you that it's even in the conservative theological churches, the assemblies of God, the Baptist. We have a God that we try to manipulate to do our thing, and that's exactly what Jesus is warning them about. Why? Because it's personal. God, he goes on to say, God already knows what you need. This isn't about you making God aware of something. He's not, and that's what we act like. Have you prayed? Well, the first thing is, is if you don't pray, he still knows. But the second thing is you pray because he's your daddy. He's the doctor. He's got the end and the beginning. He's the alpha and the omega. He's the one who makes it happen. And we, we, we kind of have turned this, guys, into a get-what-you-want sort of thing, and that's not how this works. Bethel Church, and I, I, I kind of moved away from talking about him. It is a cult. It's heretical. I can get into that with you a different time. I can, I can tell you why I believe that. But they have a whole school of healing. And the pastor, Dr. or Pastor Johnson's wife, died of cancer last week. Yeah, it breaks my heart. But why couldn't they fix her? Because God doesn't work their way. You see, he's God. Every faith healer that ever lived, his wife died. One of the things that's crazy, I was watching one of these guys, and I, I really have had to stop because it just irks me that people are so stupid to listen. They're not idiots because that would send me to hell, but, they, <laughs> but they're not wise. This guy, this guy was on the stage, and he's talking, and he's going, he, oh, what, Lord? Okay, yes, Lord. And he's got glasses on, right? And he says, somebody out here is struggling with their eyesight. He's got glasses on. 
And then nobody even, and I'm sitting there looking at TV. Maybe it's you, buddy. I mean, it's, it, we're laughing because it's so silly, but that's where the church has gotten. Please understand, the reason we pray is not to move the hands of God, but to have, allow God to move our hearts. And by the way, that's the first part of the prayer. Pray like this, Matthew 6, 9. Pray like this. Pray like this. It doesn't say pray this. It says pray like this. This is a template. This is a template prayer. Pray like this. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. Prayer begins with identifying who it is we are praying to. And I got to tell you, we all, we all know God's in heaven. He's not like our earthly dad. We, we can go on and on about that. I don't need to. You're very smart. But I want to point out that Jesus says, our. Our. You're the salt. You're the light. And when you pray, pray our. Do you realize the significance of that? It isn't, it isn't we, we, we have taken the Lord's Prayer and we've turned it into something we do in church or something we do somewhere at a funeral. But this is Jesus talking and he goes, when you pray, pray our Father. He just elevated them to his brothers and his sisters. Our Father. Once adopted, we are called to come to him even while we're down here in this mess. Look at Romans 8, 29, and 30. For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son. How so? How would he make us like Jesus? So that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And having chosen them, he called them to come to him. While you're trying not to hate people and call them idiots and commit adultery in your eyes and cut your arm off and pluck your eye out, while you're trying so hard to, to get rid of you, in the equation, which we fail at a lot. And he'll deal with that later in the prayer, right? you got to start with calling out to our Father, our Daddy, our Abba, our Father in heaven. It's not just about getting stuff. It's about actually talking to the only one who can do anything about what we're living with. Jesus said, it's talking to our Father, who was above all earthly fathers, even though we cannot see him. Our Father in heaven. It's not Daddy. You see, prayer isn't supposed to, I, I get it, prayer isn't supposed to be this, like, dear Lord, that's how we open the letter, blah, 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 in Jesus' name, amen, we close the letter, we sign it, we seal it, we put it in, and we lick it, and we say amen one more time. That's what we've turned it into. But Jesus wants to identify who he's talking about, you talking to, you praying to right now, and it's not your earthly daddy. It wasn't Joseph. It's not your earthly daddy. It's not my kids to me. It's to the Father in heaven, our Father. This is the one thing eternally that we have in common. We're family, brothers and sisters. That's why he sent me. I'm about to adopt you. So when you pray, you talk to our daddy who's in heaven, okay? He's not right now in front of you. He's omniscient and omnipresent. I know that but he's not in front of you. You can't see him. I'm fully aware of that. He's in heaven. So that's who you're praying to. And I love this next one. And I, I really need you to think here because this is going to be, this is going to be a little different. Our father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. Okay. So, so think about this. When we learn this in the King James version, 
which is what most of us know it in. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. It actually doesn't lay out as well as the Greek does. The Greek layout is more like this. May your name be kept holy. So the first thing he wants us to know is that you are praying to our dad, the same one I pray to. I go a lot. It says that the disciples actually got frustrated a couple times because they would get up in the morning and try to find Jesus and he'd be out praying to his father. It tells us that at the end of his life, John tells us that Jesus went away to pray alone a lot. So if he prays, I'm talking to our father, you talk to our father. Then he goes on to say, the first prayer request, the first thing you ask for is that God's name be kept holy. In other words, Lord, help me know that you're on your throne in heaven. Help me understand that you aren't like any other God. Help me, may your name be kept holy. This isn't a statement, it's a request. Do you see that? It's a plead. Help me keep your name holy. The prayer, the prayer is asking God to help the prayer keep in mind who our Heavenly Father is in light of who we are. Like really, really know it in a way that we can't fathom it in our own mind. Do you remember when the disciples realized this? Just one of the many times in Matthew chapter 8, verse 23, it says Jesus got into the boat and started across the lake with his disciples. Suddenly a fierce storm struck the lake with the waves breaking into the boat, but Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him up shouting, Lord, Master, excuse me, save us. We're going to drown. Jesus responded, why are you afraid? You have such little faith. Then he got up and rebuked the wind and the waves, and suddenly there was great calm. The disciples were amazed. Who is this man? They asked. Even the waves, the winds and the waves obey. That's what it looks like to realize that you are talking to a holy God. You remember when the prophet, prophet Isaiah, who, who was a prophet and had talked to God many times, came to realize for himself that God was holy? In Isaiah 6, he says, it was the year the king Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. So it's a historical lesson. I'll tell you when I first saw the Lord. It was the year King Uzziah died. He was sitting on a lofty throne and the train of his robe filled the temple. Attending him were these mighty angels, each having six wings. With two wings they covered their faces and two covered their feet and with two they flew and they were calling out to one another. Please notice what they call out. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Their voices shook the temple to its foundations and the entire building was filled with smoke. Then I said, oh, it's over. I'm doomed for I'm a sinful man. I have filthy lips and I live among a people with filthy lips. Yet I have seen the king, the Lord of heaven's armies. I, if you want to know how unholy we've made God, just sit around and listen to people who say, the first thing I'm going to ask Jesus when I see him is, I don't care what the question is after that, that is totally missing who it is you're going to see. And he's going to invite you in, and it says on his throne, he's going to give you a name between you and him. The intimacy that we get to have with God is an invitation by a holy God. But when you see him in his glory, that's what you do. You lay down as a dead man, and he's not the only one. You remember that the apostle John walked with Jesus for three years. Three years he saw him. So you would expect if John saw him in heaven, he'd go, hey, what's up, man? Good to see you again. I missed you. Hey, what happened when you ascended into heaven? But that's not what happened. It was the Lord's day. I was worshiping in the Spirit, and suddenly I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet blast. It said, so I was unfamiliar with that voice, write in a book everything you see and send it to the seven churches in the, in the cities of, of uh, 
Ephesus and Smyrna and Pergamum and Thyatira and Sardis and Philadelphia and Laodicea. When I turned to see who was speaking to me, I saw seven gold lampstands. And standing in the middle of the lampstand was someone like the Son of Man. He was wearing a long robe and a gold sash around his chest. His head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like flames of fire. Don't start drawing this because you'll notice that it says like. It doesn't say they were, but he's trying to describe in human terms something that's supernatural. His feet were like polished bronze refined in a furnace, and his voice thundered like the many oceans. He held seven stars in his right hand and a sharp two-edged sword from his mouth, and his face was like the sun in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as if I were dead. We come to know that that's Jesus. But when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask him why he let Biden be president. I'm going to ask him why he let America fall. When I get to heaven, I want to know why he gave me the husband he gave me. Happy, happy anniversary, honey. It's 35 years today we've been married. She has put up with this that long. No, no, I, I wasn't asking. Thank you. It's been hard on me, too. I mean, just, this guy knew Jesus. And when he saw him, it wasn't like familiar. It was like, what? I'm toast. When we pray, may your name be kept holy, it's, it's asking God to help us understand that the one we are praying to is not merely our go-to guy in desperate times or our best buddy when we have just heard a great worship song or our emotional support God. It's not who he is. It may be some of the things that he does, but it is not who he is. You know, I grew up in an era where we feared the Lord, right? Many of you did. That was what legalism grew out of that. And then we started experiencing the grace of God and we moved away from legalism. Only God transforms and we believe that. But the pendulum is Satan, satanic and he wants us to move so far that we forget that the one we are talking to is our daddy, but he's the heavenly one, the holy one. And he wants us to start our prayer with understanding, help me grasp who you are because everything I say after this should be said in light of that context. Does that make sense? I understand that we get frustrated with our circumstances, that we are frustrated with the price of gas, that we are frustrated with our struggle in the flesh. We are frustrated with whatever you can fill in the gap. But the only way you're going to be at peace with that is if we never forget that God sees it all from beginning to end and he's got a plan. And we have to remember as we go to him about our sin and our daily needs and everything else that it's his, that we recognize that we're not informing him of anything because he's fully aware already. It was the psalmist that said in Psalm 97, the Lord is king. Let the earth rejoice. Let the farthest coastlands be glad. Dark clouds surround him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. Fire spreads ahead of him and burns up all his foes. His lightning flashes out across the world. The earth sees and trembles. The mountains melt like wax before the Lord, before the Lord of all the earth. The heavens proclaim his righteousness. Every nation sees his glory. Those who worship idols are disgraced. All who brag about their worthless gods, for every god must bow to him. Jerusalem has heard and rejoiced, and all the towns of Judah are glad because of your justice, O Lord. For you, O Lord, are supreme over all the earth. You are exalted far above other gods. When you know God is holy, this is how it affects your life. You who love the Lord hate evil. 
He protects the lives of godly people and rescues them from the power of the wicked. Light shines on the godly and joy on those whose hearts are right. May all who are godly rejoice in the Lord and praise His holy name. If the church obsesses over part of Jesus' teachings at the mount that we just read, about divorce and remarriage, about lust and adultery. If all we do is talk about those things and we miss who God is, we miss where the peace lies. Because ultimately, right in the middle of all these instructions are a bunch of people listening going, I think I'm guilty of every one of those things. Every one of those things. And each of them in with, I'm going to hell. And then Jesus says, but let me tell you how to talk to our Father. The Holy One. And it's incredible. It's incredible. Our holy God is perfect in justice and mercy. He's perfect in love and judgment. He's both patient and resolute. He's tenacious and humble. He keeps every promise He's ever made completely perfectly. He calls even the most vile and even person, evil person to be his son and his daughter. That's our God. And yet he demands complete perfection. Well, how do I relate to a God like that? Well, you pray like this. Our dad in heaven, help us remember how holy you are. Before I get into my needs, and before I get into my repentance, before I get into all the other stuff that I want to talk to you about today, help me to remember that you are on your throne, that you are the God of gods and the King of kings, the Lord of lords, and I will bow only to you. Honestly, you've heard this before, and here in some sense and other places, and it's, it's hard for us to wrap our minds around this concept of the holiness of God. It is, right? I mean, it's hard. It's really hard. And so I, I want you to experience the holiness of God, or I want to try to help you experience it. And so next Sunday, we're going to do something different. I want you to be here next Sunday because I don't think I can put it online. It's nothing weird. But I, I want to show you something, Sunday, that I think will deeply move you. Some of you have seen it. I'm, I'm not going to give any. Don't start texting me. I'm not going to give you any more information on it because I want you to come expecting something very special next Sunday. I, 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 that's all I'm going to say because I can't keep a secret. But I want to try to take you into the presence of the Lord, and I want you to walk away going, oh, yeah. Because if all we do is learn in our head about a holy God, we really haven't learned anything because you already know he's holy. I just want to remind you, I just want to remind you of what you already knew, but we forget. Just how truly awesome he is. Moses wrote this of his God. Those who live in the shelter of the Most High find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. This I declare about the Lord. Alone he is my refuge, my place of safety. He is my God and I trust him. For he will rescue you from every trap and protect you from deadly disease. He will cover you with his feathers. He will shelter you with his wings. His faithful promises are your armor and protection. Don't be afraid of the terrors of the night, not an arrow that flies in the day. Do not dread the disease that stalks in darkness, nor the disaster that strikes at midday. Though a thousand fall at your side, ten thousand are dying around you, these evils will not touch you. Just open your eyes and see how the wicked are punished. If you make the Lord your refuge, 
If you make the most high your shelter, no evil will conquer you. No plague will come near your home. For he will order his angels to protect you wherever you go. They who hold up, they will hold up with their hands so that you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. You will trample upon lions and cobras. You will crush fierce lions and serpents under your feet. The Lord says, I will rescue those who love me. I will protect those who trust in my name. When they call to me, I will answer. I will be with them in trouble. I will rescue and honor them. I will reward them with a long life and give them my salvation. Our Father in heaven, may we keep you and your name holy in our hearts and our eyes and in our world. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Have a wonderful day.